Welcome to the Bluff First Podcast. Join us as we journey together through the book of 1 Peter in our current series entitled Living Hope. We pray that this message will encourage and enrich your life. For more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com. Praise the Lord. What an awesome day. I love Baptism Sunday. It's one of my favorite Sundays uh, of the year. And uh, if you've got a Bible, why don't you go ahead and find 1 Peter. For the last time, we're wrapping up a series today uh, in 1 Peter. And while, uh, while we kind of get things back together here, I'm going to give you just a little bit of information about some things that are uh, coming up. I love Baptism Sunday. We have uh, you know, all of these individuals that are getting baptized today, what an awesome thing. We actually had so many people that missed the uh, orientation and wanted to be baptized that we are offering the class, the orientation, again this Wednesday at 6.30 p.m., and then we have another Baptism Sunday in just two weeks on Labor Day weekend, September 5th. And I just want to say, if you are feeling like, man, I should get baptized, and you can't make it to the class, or you can make it to the class, but you can't make it that Sunday, we will work with you, so go ahead and sign up anyway. There's a clipboard on the back wall for baptism, or you can go to blufffirst.com slash info. That's always your, your spot to sign up for anything that you're feeling like you need to take a step. Uh, in, in your walk with Jesus. And so we're excited. I know you've already been welcomed, but I want to welcome you again. I know we have lots of guests on Baptism Sunday, and so good morning and welcome. My name is TJ. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, delighted that you would choose to be here at 9 a.m. on a Sunday, too. Look at you guys, right? As school gets ready, you're doing pretty good. Uh, you're here. I hope you've had some coffee and you felt welcome. If you're just joining us, um, we have spent about 16 weeks or so in First Peter. And if you uh, want to find us in chapter 5 for the very last message, we have titled this series, Living Hope. How many know the world needs hope? Man, our world needs hope, and we have a living hope. Peter uses that term in First Peter uh, chapter uh, 1, and we are wrapping up that series here in chapter 5. We wrap it up just in time for Vision Sunday next Sunday. And so if you don't know about that, um, it is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. I love Baptism Sunday, but Vision Sunday is an opportunity for us to talk about where we're headed as a church and what God's doing uh, and what we see him doing and trying to keep pace with him. And we don't want to get ahead of God. We don't want to be behind God. We want to be right in line and right on time with him. And uh, it's going to be an awesome Sunday. And there's new t-shirts. Everyone gets excited about the merch and all that stuff. So make plans to be here next Sunday for Vision Sunday. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Verse 1, I'm going to read one word and give you a little bit of context. He says, so... And if you remember from last week's message, he talked about how judgment begins at the house of God, and then if it's difficult for those of us that are Christians to endure suffering and to endure to the end, how much harder it's going to be for those who are without Christ. And then Peter starts chapter 5 with this word, so, and that's building on that thought, that judgment begins in the house of God. It's not always... Um, a bad thing. Judgment's not always a bad thing. It's a purifying thing. God is getting the world ready for his son's return. And so that means he has to get the church ready for his son's return. And that means he has to get the church's leaders ready for his return. Anytime God is going to do something, he begins working on the leaders. 
I have noticed over the last three, four months, God has been working on me. I think that's because he's working on Bluff First. He's working in this church, and he had to start with me. And so he's been chiseling some stuff away and chipping some stuff away and letting me go through some stuff that I haven't particularly enjoyed. Anybody don't really enjoy being chipped away at, right? But God is working, and I sense that. I really do. I'm excited to talk about that next week on Vision Sunday. That's enough about the first word. We're going to cover 11 verses, so we better keep going. So, Peter says, as God puts things in right order, in the right order, so I exhort, I encourage the elders among you. And Peter says, as a fellow elder and a fellow witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. I'm, I'm right here with you in the trenches, Peter says. I urge you, leaders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You ought to underline that, highlight that in your Bible. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The second half of this series and this look at 1 Peter, Peter has been driving home a concept that was very countercultural to the Greco-Roman culture that he was ministering in, and it's countercultural to the American ideal uh, of today, and it was this idea of submission. We don't like the word submit. It's kind of a cuss word in our society. We don't like talking about submission, and yet we've been talking about it. Peter has walked us through what it looks like to submit to a boss that you don't like, what it looks like to submit to a government that you don't like, what it looks like to submit to a spouse that hopefully you do like and that maybe likes you back, right? And he's walked through this idea of submission, and today in this final message, we look at this idea of submitting to shepherding. Submit to shepherding. And I chose that word shepherding very carefully as opposed to just saying shepherds. Because I think there are three implications from our text this morning. We ought to submit to the shepherding of the spiritual shepherds that are in our lives as they follow Jesus. We ought to have pastors, elders, mentors in our life, people who have been following Jesus longer and further than we have. We ought to submit to their leadership and their voice in our life. Secondly, we ought to submit to the shepherding of the great and chief shepherd that Peter talks about, and that is King Jesus. We ought to submit to him. 
And then this is really the reason I use that word shepherding, because it's not just about submitting to those two types of shepherds, Jesus and and the shepherds that he trusts uh, to lead his church, but also to submit to this idea of God's standards for however we ought to shepherd whatever flock we have been put in charge over or given influence with. And so we ought to submit to the idea that God is trusting us over other people at times, and we gotta submit to his type of shepherding. Peter encourages the leadership of a church that was suffering, a church that was uh, persecuted in ancient Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. We've talked about that. And he uses different language, different ideas to describe the same people, the same leaders. He says elders, witnesses, overseers, caretakers, examples. He's speaking to the leaders of the church. And so I take, um, <laughs> I take this passage very seriously. I take it with a great amount of fear and trembling as a shepherd. I don't know if you know this, Um, Make no mistake, Jesus is the shepherd, but he trusts under shepherds to care for his church. And the Bible says that those types of leaders, especially those who labor and teach and preach the scriptures, are going to be judged more harshly than you are going to be judged. And so I, I, I take it very seriously what God says about how we ought to shepherd the flock of God. And he makes it clear that leaders in a church are shepherds. He's the shepherd, but he entrusts parts of his flock to different under shepherds. And we know, right, that he's the type of shepherd that leaves the 99 to go after the one. We love that. We sing about that. We celebrate that. We slap it on T-shirts, right? He leaves the 99 to go after the one that has wandered, the one that is in danger, wherever you're at this morning. And God sees you right where you're at. He cares for you. But listen, (laughs) he cares so much for the flock and so much for the individual. He cares so much for the 99 and for the one that this is a big deal. He's going to bring you back to the flock. All right? The goal is not to be the wandering one. Praise God that he does come after us when we're wandering, but that's not where we want to stay, right? And so this is a big deal, this text before us. I don't take it lightly. It, it terrifies me a little bit this morning. But I think it applies not only to me as your lead pastor and to all of our pastoral staff and to all of our leaders and overseers and, and elders and deacons that serve on our church I think there are things that you could apply to any group of people that you shepherd, okay? So dads, how are you shepherding your family? Parents, how are you shepherding your kids? Bosses, how are you shepherding your employees? Shift leads, how are you shepherding your coworkers, students, your classmates, coaches, your players, teachers, your students? You get the point, right? How are you caring for the people that God has put in your life Peter has made it clear there's no authority that's by accident. God knows what's going on. And he uses good leaders, and he can even use wicked leaders for his ultimate good. But how many of you would rather God use you for good as a good leader than God have to take all of your foolishness and somehow find a way to use it for good? I would rather God have some material to work with, right? And Peter gives us uh, instruction on how to do that, how to care for people. Shepherd the flock, he says. Shepherd the flock. And this begs a question. I want you to think about this this morning. This is a question that all of us have to answer. Am I a part of the flock? Am I a part of the flock? Peter says, shepherd the flock. 
You've got to ask yourself, am I part of that? Am I part of Jesus's flock? Being a lone sheep, being the one that's wandering is not a good place to stay. Jesus, again, might leave the 99 for you, but if he does, he's going to bring you back to the flock. That's where you're supposed to be. Like That's the point. And so am I part of the flock? That's Jesus' intent for you. That's where you're safest. What do you mean part of the flock? Are you in the kingdom of God? And is that expressed by you being deeply involved in a life-giving local expression of faith, i.e., the local church. Are you part of a church? Are you part of the flock? Now listen, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, if you're visiting today, that you have to be in the bluff first flock, okay? We are not everybody's cup of tea, all right? But are you in a flock with fellow sheep? Is your life open to Christian community? Are you bearing burdens Together Is your life submitted not only to the authority of God and his scripture, but to, to teaching in your life and other believers and leaders in your life that you are following? And listen, in this day and age, it's important to distinguish. I know there are some people that can't worship with us in person right now, and we totally understand that. But that's not a good permanent solution. Like, digital church is not a substitute for this. It's great. If you have to have it, it's great. Right? If I can talk to, to us as sheep this morning, there's nothing wrong with looking at nice grass online, okay? There's nothing wrong with looking at, looking at that and, and hearing other people describe it, but you're not gonna get full online, right? Watching cooking shows has only ever made me hungry. You, you've, you've got to be in the pasture, in the grass, in the weeds, in the dirt with the other sheep. This is God's plan for you, that you would be in the flock with the shepherd, with the under shepherds. Yes, Jesus takes care of you, but he's got other people that he plans to use to care for you, and he wants you to be a part of caring for others. You can't care much for your favorite preacher on YouTube. You can care for the person sitting next to you. and You can serve them. And so he tells us to be a part of the flock, and he tells the leaders of the flock, man, Take care of the sheep, and don't do it under compulsion. What does that mean? Don't do it because it's your duty. Now listen, there are some times we do things because they are our duty, right? I, don't, I rarely ever feel like changing my son's diaper. That's a whole different kind of duty, you know what I mean? I'm not really excited about that. That was a terrible joke. <laughs> I'm not excited about that, but it has to happen, so I do it, right? And so certainly there's a part of that in serving God and, and leading people and loving people. Certainly there's parts of it. We, just, we, did, we do the right thing even when we don't feel like it, but that's not where he wants us to stay. He wants us to do so willingly, Peter says. He uses the word willingly. I think the implication is joyfully, gladly. And listen, this is what God always asks of us. Not to begrudgingly struggle and complain and eeyore our way through a Christian life, but to, but to be tigger, right? And to, and to joyfully have obedience. Look at this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. You think the church is all about like your money and twisting your arm, and that's, that's not what we're about, and that's not what God is about. It says each person ought to give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not with a twisted arm, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver, not 
someone who does it because they have to. And this is how he, he, he is about everything, our time, our money, our lives. We are not to be half-hearted, grumbling, stubborn sheep. We are to be happy sheep, cheerful givers. We know that doing something out of duty is a recipe for disaster in our relationships. We know that doing something lazily because we have to is a recipe for disaster in any relationship, especially in our relationship with God and fellow, fellow believers. Because listen, some of y'all are hard work. <laughs> and I'm one of y'all, okay? We're hard work to love. And so we can't, we can't just, it can't just be our duty. If I come to church because it's my duty, and I go to small group because it's my duty, and I try to reach out to some people because it's my duty, very quickly... The duty is going to make it not worth the duty. You know what I mean? The stuff, the failure, the disappointment. I'm going to be like, what's the point? But if I have this perspective that the great shepherd served me and the great shepherd calls me to serve and shows me how and empowers me and gives me the grace and he laid down his life for the sheep and not just me, the sheep, we, the sheep. And so I'm going to lay my, my life down for you as well. That's a whole different type of thing. And Peter says, you know what, just like being lazy or dutiful is a recipe for disaster, so is being highly driven by the wrong things. He continues, you know, care for the flock, pastor the sheep, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering, but by being examples. You can't lead people, listen, whatever organization or whatever family or whatever that you're leading and you're a part of leading, you can't lead people and love people for the sake of gaining more money or gaining more influence or power, okay? It doesn't work. You might fool other people. You might get some results. You will not fool God if you lead in that way. And this is the problem that we have as, as, like, as leaders. This is a problem. Pride is a problem for leaders, Pride is a problem for leaders. It's a big problem for human beings, right? My three-and-a-half-year-old has pride. Like, it's a default setting we come with. It's in the box, right? Sometimes battery's not included. Pride is included. When they hand you a baby, just get ready, all right? As soon as they can talk, it's going to be saying, mine. Pride is a problem. And he gives us a little footnote about how it's often a struggle for young men, you know, and having been a former young man, I'm still a young man to some of you, having been a young man before, I recognize, like, we don't always love authority. Sometimes when we're young, we try to substitute intelligence for wisdom and experience, and we think, well, we're smarter, you know? But pride is a killer, and it shows up in our relationships, not just our relationship with God, but just as importantly, our relationship with other people. You can't be humble before God and prideful before other people and think that that's a good, a good spot, okay? It's in the same sentence. Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. It's not just about my pride or my humility and my posture towards God that's going to cause him to bless me or resist me. It's my pride, my humility toward you that's going to cause God to resist me or to bless me. So Peter says, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Anybody this morning would like to pick a fight with God? I can tell you the quickest way. Be prideful. 
Be prideful. Pride to me, it sure seems to be the oldest sin. It was pride that made Lucifer, made Satan fall. It was pride in the garden, wanting to be like God, not wanting to submit to his rule, right? Pride seems to be the original sin. And listen, if you're, if you're a note taker, if you've got the journals, you've been in this series, write this down. When you are prideful, God resists you, works against you. But when you are humble, God resources you and works with you. Now, where would you rather be? Running uphill with God working against you or God being the wind in your sails and working with you and giving you, resourcing you with the grace that you need to accomplish what it is he has called you to do. He will not help out someone who is out to hurt his flock, but he will give all the grace that is needed to someone who loves his flock because he loves his flock. So listen, the war for God's blessing and God's favor and God's grace on your life and your endeavors, it's so easy for you to think that is exterior and it's somebody else and it's just the devil that's warring against you. But the battlefield is often your own ego, your own pride and humility. I mean, look at all the external pressure this church is facing. Peter does not say anything about Nero. He doesn't say anything about the enemies that are outside of the church. He says, listen, leaders, the first and greatest enemy is within us. It's our own pride, our own desire to be God, to be our own little gods. That's our number one enemy. It's not our fellow man. It's not the stubbornness sheep in the flock. It's us. And then it's interesting Another battleground for that humility comes in our thoughts. It's no accident that Peter connects. We, we often pluck this verse apart from this talk of humility, but, but Peter says, cast your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Right on the heels of saying God opposes the proud. Listen, it's sneaky, it's subtle, but oftentimes our pride masks itself as anxiety and worry. And I'm not saying if you have clinical anxiety, well, it's just pride, you need to repent, brother. It's not what I'm saying. But oftentimes, it is our need, our desire <clears throat> to be in control, our lack of trust and faith in God, and our desire to be in control, and obsessing over trying to control everything, that leads us feeling anxious and worried. How many can admit, sometimes you just worry too much, you just put too much on your own shoulders, right? God's shoulders are big enough. This is why faith is so important. Rest is so important. It's exhausting trying to be in control. You can't be in control. So Jesus says, come to me if you're weary. Come to me if you're heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Peter says, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And so when it comes to God blessing and resourcing our life. Man, if pride is in the way, and even pride that is sneakily disguised as anxious worry, we have to humble ourselves. And then there is that second enemy. There is another enemy, the devil, Satan. There is another enemy, right? And so um, I read something. I don't know how recent the stats are, so you know whatever, but I just found it alarming. I read a survey that said 65% of American Christians believe that Satan is just a representation of evil and not an actual being. 
Again, I don't know how recent that is, but, but, but listen to me. I mean, if you came in here and you, like, different beliefs, different, that's okay. But I just want to tell you what the Bible says, okay? And this is what the scriptures say, and we, we hold the scriptures in high regard here at Bluff First. The scriptures say this, if Satan isn't real, then Jesus is a liar. So, so you know, you don't get Jesus loves me and leaves the 99 for me, but Satan, you know, it's just the Halloween costume. Listen, Jesus never calls Satan an it or a force or a thing. He calls him a him, your enemy, the devourer, the slanderer, the liar, the father of all lies, the devil. Peter says he's active. He's looking like a lion. He's looking for someone to devour. He wants people to spend eternity separated from God. He wants Christians to be weak and ineffective. He wants all of us to be distracted and divided. If he wants us to be distracted and divided, how many would look at our country and say, he's doing a decent job? Like he ain't bad at what he does, right? He wants you to quit on God, leave the flock, quit on other believers, be tempted to believe the lie that that God has failed you, that other people are your enemy and your problem. But biblical truth humbles us to this reality. My primary problem with serving God and serving other people is me. My secondary problem is there's an enemy of my soul that loves to help me hurt me and loves to help me hurt others. You're like the punk older brother that goes, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself. Satan loves to get in our ear and convince us of all the wrong things. He's active. And so Peter says, you've got to be active too. He's aware. He's looking. You've got to be looking too. Watchful, sober-minded. Resist him. Stand firm. Keep perspective. Peter says, listen, don't act like your suffering is strange. This is not a strange thing that's happening to you. This This is how it goes. If you're a Christian, you suffer. If you're a human, you suffer. It's momentary. How many could compare our biggest complaint of the week? And listen, can I just tell you, I've had a week, okay? I've had me a week. But the biggest complaint of my week, can I compare that to anything at all that anyone is experiencing in Afghanistan? I, what, what, am I, what could I complain about? And you know what? Even if I were in Afghanistan, Peter says, if you have Christ... This is momentary affliction. This is quickly fading, and you're going to be rewarded by the chief shepherd with a reward that is not quickly fading. Peter says you'll receive a crown of glory that doesn't fade. No doubt with the Olympics in mind, here's Peter, right? Athens in mind. These Olympians, they run a race, they compete in an event, and they're given a crown of leaves, and it fades in a week and dries up and dies. All that work, and a week later, it's mulch. Peter says, no, 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 no. We run a race that ends with a crown of glory that will never, ever, 
ever fade away. God will come through. He will do what he says. He will reward. He is making all things new. He is making the world renew. He's redeeming the world to himself until he comes back and he sits on the throne and he rules and he reigns forever and ever and ever. And there's nothing happening ever again like what's happening in Afghanistan. There's never a doctor's report. Again, I got bad news, doctors. You're going to be out of a job when Jesus comes back. There will be no cancer. There will be no racism. There will be no murder. There will be no sexual assault. There will be no abuse of children. There will be no hunger. Jesus will wipe away every tear, and his kingdom will never end. So Peter says, look, you've got a king. You've got a shepherd that cares for you. So clothe yourself in humility. You can't even follow Jesus without humility. The first step is repenting. The first step is a posture of of kneeling and confessing and trusting and depending. And that's what these people that are being baptized today are doing. They're they're humbling themselves. I promise you, there's not one of them that wanted to get up here and talk to you today, except maybe Micah, right? None of them wanted to be up here. But Jesus has done a work in their lives, and they gotta talk about it, and they gotta share it, and they got to declare it. And they're going to do it again at 11, which is incredible. they got practice now, right? Peter says he's the God of all grace. The God of all grace will restore you. He'll comfort you. He'll strengthen you. He'll give you what you need. And listen, if you get anything out of Bluff First, I hope you recognize that we serve a God that is the God of all grace. There is grace available for you. I heard one person, I don't usually like the little cheesy Christian acronyms, but this one's actually pretty good. He described grace this way, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what's available for you, grace. You can have the righteousness of God, the blessing of God, eternal reign with God, not at your expense, at Christ's expense. He paid for your sin. There's no better example of humility than Jesus. And he says, if you want to come to me, you've got to clothe yourself in humility. If the worship team wants to join me, clothe yourself in humility. Is there a better example than Jesus, creator of the world, sitting in heavenly places with the Father, and says, you know what, I'm willing to come and put on flesh. Well, maybe we should just drop you on the planet as 30-year-old wise teaching, preaching Jesus. No, I'll come as a baby. Well, maybe we should make you a baby in a palace. No, I'll go to Bethlehem. Well, we should at least put you with wealthy people. No, I'll be a carpenter's son. Well, you need a Serta. You need a nice mattress. Put me in a trough. I mean, Jesus put on humility. And on his last night with his disciples, what does he do? He puts on a towel, a a, a slave posture. He washes feet. Like, this is our Jesus. He puts on humility. And then he walks to a cross, and the Bible says, he that knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. You have the only sinless man that's ever walked the earth, and he says, you know what? 
in this moment, for me to clothe myself with humility looks like submitting to the Father's will, submitting to suffering that I don't really plan to enjoy, and putting on sin I didn't do, putting on regrets I didn't do, shame I didn't do, failures I didn't do, clothing myself with sin and humility, humbling myself to a cross so that my flock could take off their sin and put on my righteousness, take off their thorns and put on my crown. This is, this is the shepherd that we serve. This is the model. You want to lead people? You want to be somebody? This is your picture. Lower yourself. Lower yourself. Follow the good shepherd. Serve people. Sacrifice. Submit to shepherds. And as we wrap up this series, I just think this makes sense. We have folks who are going to be baptized here in just a moment. Peter finishes his letter, but we know because of other historians how Peter finished his life. And Peter says, look, humble yourself, clothe yourself with humility, and you're going to receive a reward. And Peter, I believe with all my heart, Peter received his reward. But the moment before that, the dying breaths of Peter were not spent preaching like I'm getting to preach today. They weren't on some platform or some stage. They weren't at a book signing. Peter, Apostle Peter, Disciple Peter, was crucified on a cross upside down for his Savior. Do you get lower than that? And look at it. He's upside down on a cross, and a moment later, he's in glory. A moment later, he's with King Jesus. A moment later, he sees his old friend face to face. When you're humbled, God gives grace to you. And when you're proud, God opposes you. You can try to prop yourself up. You can try to climb up and stand on top of that cross. You will get knocked off. But if you'll humble yourself, listen, if you'll humble yourself, you'll be near other people that have fallen down. If, you're, if you'll humble yourself, you'll be close and be able to have a lot in common with other people that have humbled themselves. If you'll humble yourself, you'll realize, I can serve people. I'm not, I'm not above anything. I'm at ground level. I can look up to anyone. I can learn from anyone. People can step on me. They can tread on me. They can do what they want. I'm in the posture. I'm in the position that Jesus wants me to be in. He will reward me. I don't need your gold medal. I don't need your crown of leaves. He will reward me, and it won't fade. So this morning, listen, <laughs> there's a great life with Christ and a great eternity with Christ awaiting those who will humble themselves and trust in him, and this baptism today is a picture of that. I want that for you. I want that for you. I want God to do that work in your life, but you've got to humble yourself. Stand with me, if you would, all over this room. I've gone over my time. I got excited. Jesus, would you move in hearts and lives? If you're here today and you need to make a decision to follow Christ, we'd be happy to pray with you. Again, you can go to blufffirst.com slash info. Let us know you made the decision. Let us know you need to be baptized. Let us know you, you, you need help. You want to be in a small group. Whatever it is, you can take all those steps there or come talk to us. But we're going to sing a song right now, and I just want you to worship. I want you to go after Jesus for the first time, for the millionth time. 
humble yourself before a king that will exalt you in due time. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Meet with us here, we pray. In your precious name, amen and amen. Let's worship together. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For questions, prayer requests, and more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com.